0: you to think about that who are the people that have influenced you my influencers were my parents my youth pastor a coach a Sunday school teacher and some college friends I was also shaped by experiences when I went on retreats as a kid like through middle school or high school when I went to a camp when I went to mission trips things like that those all shaped me The reason I'm saying this and asking you to think about this is just for the obvious thing is to say, you don't exist in a vacuum. You exist in and around other people, and those people influence and shape you. And so there was a lot of people that invested in me and helped shape me. It it took a village, or more specifically, it took a church. It took a group of Christians to shape me. And your story might be very different than mine, and that's okay. It probably still involved multiple people. Because God created us for community. And it's not a surprise then that he will use a community of people to make his gospel go forward in how we share our faith. Each of the disciples that follow Jesus, right? They don't do it in a vacuum. They're following Jesus together. They, he sends them out. And he sends them out two by two. Go out together and go speak of the good news of the kingdom, of the forgiveness of sins that's offered in Christ's name, right? And so each of the disciples had their faith shaped as they learned to follow Jesus in community together. The text we're about to read, the disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They've loved him, followed him. They've watched him die and be buried. They've now seen him alive and walking around after his resurrection. And Jesus says, hey, all of you get together, And meet me at this place. And then he gives them these words. This is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Follow along with me as we read the word of the Lord here. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray you'll bless the reading of your word and the preaching of it now. Help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and feet that walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm not going to do a lot of explaining of text today. We're going to take about a couple minutes to look at some grammar, and then the text will be explained. But I want to try to talk a lot more to you about what it means and how it, how it ought to get played out in your life. So um, let's, let's just consider what, what this text is saying, and you can put the, that first slide up there for me. And we're going to look at grammar, okay? So you're in English class, okay? So what you can't see in the English that you see in the Greek text is the yellow phrase, make disciples, there, it's highlighted in yellow. That is the verb, and it's a command. It's an imperative command. This is what you must do. And so this, this sentence says, therefore, as you're going, make disciples. That's the command, make disciples. There's three kind of these participial phrases, of these ongoing actions that talk about how you make disciples. And those three are highlighted there in green. And as, you, as you're going, and as you're baptizing, and as you're teaching to obey. And so what is being said here in this command is Jesus says, go make disciples. And making disciples is like Jesus did. He goes up to people and says, hey, come follow me. And they learn. He goes out and he gathers them in. They're baptized, right? And then they are taught to obey everything. If we were to kind of translate this into some of the ways that we commonly talk about this, we say then our our, uh, vision here is to make growing followers of Jesus. That's what we say, because that's what we're told to do, to make disciples, growing followers of Jesus. How are we going to do that? Well, as you go out into society where people live, work, and play, you need to go out and serve others and share your faith. That's part of the going aspect of it. The baptizing part is gathering people into the church and baptizing them into the family of God, saying, you're welcome here, right? So that's the gathering in component. And then the the third component of teaching them to obey is the the growing together in a life, learning to obey and to walk in God's ways. Today, we're going to look at the first of those things, the going out into society. Next week, we're going to look at the uh, gathering people in. And then on January 28th, we'll look at how vital community is to being growing followers of Christ. So today, let's take a look at this call for a community to go out and serve and share their faith together. And two, two big things I want you to see in this. Is, the first one is this, that Jesus gives a clarifying purpose to go influence others with the gospel. That's the command he's giving his followers. To those then, to you and me by extension, as followers of Jesus, there's a clarifying purpose that this is what you should be about doing. Indeed, the job website has a tutorial to help you write a personal mission statement that you might use on a resume to help you either filter jobs or try to get a job as as an employer might see that and it's trying to clarify your purpose, to make it concise, and here's what I'm about, here's what I do, this is why you might want me. I think it's important to clarify purpose in life, and not just for a job, though that's good as well. And it's important for us to ask that question, why am I here? What is my purpose? I, I can tell you that I think about this for me, and I think my purpose is to follow Jesus, lead my family to follow Jesus, and get as many people to go to heaven with me as I can that's my purpose and you might say well yeah that's your job well that's my occupation my my occupation as a pastor but purpose would be my purpose no matter what my occupation is and yours too no matter what your occupation is as a christian as a follower of jesus your purpose is to influence others to also follow jesus now how do you do that how do you go about doing that and why would you do that what would make you want to do something so crazy? When you are amazed by the glory and the grace of God, it clarifies your purpose. I mean, Jeremy started today with Revelation and talking about the conversation that he had, and like, God is so different, he's so other. And you, you hear uh, in, in Revelation as he read that, all these descriptions of these beings that are like, have eyes all over them, and it's like crazy weird, but all of them are focused on one thing, God. God is the center of it all. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this call of God. And he has this vision. Like the country is at this point where it's unstable because the king, the monarch who had reigned for 52 years has died. The country is about to get overthrown by Babylon. And God gives this vision to Isaiah in the turmoil of everything. And he says um, that in this vision he sees God in the train of his robe fills the temple. And he sees these angels. Seraphim and cherubim with wings flying on their feet and arms and coming out of different places. All these beings surrounding the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And John has this similar vision hundreds and hundreds of years later. The whole point of that though is they're focused on God and how great God is. One of the things that you ought to take away from that is that whatever being exists and whatever that being looks like it owes honor and allegiance to God who is the greatest of all things and another thing you need to take away from that is this the angels long to look into the glory of God and to the mystery of the gospel peter tells us what is he saying about that You are unique from angels, okay? When you go to heaven, you don't become an angel. You're a person. You're a human being. You stay human, okay? Angels are different. They're different beings. They're created beings by God, we're told in Scripture. And we're told that they had a choice to follow God or not. And those who didn't, led by Lucifer, right, rebelled and took a bunch of angels, bad angels with them that we call demons or devils, right, and they fell, and that was, their, that was their lot. Like, okay, you're done. You're now the bad guys. Good guys here, bad guys there. He creates human beings. Human beings, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't follow God. Maybe we should do the thing we want to do, and they do. And God does something different. He doesn't say, okay, this is your lot in life, and these are good guys and bad guys. He says, you know what? I love you so much, I will redeem you. I will offer you forgiveness. The reason the angels are in awe of God is because of his holiness and his entire otherness than us, but also because they don't know redemption like you do. And they get to see humans go, whoa, we've been forgiven and redeemed. When you see the amazing glory of God and the redemption that we are offered, it ought to clarify your purpose to say, wow, I want as many other humans to be in heaven with me as possible. The disciples see Jesus buried, they see his promise of a perfect paradise. When you are awestruck by the grace of God, your purpose becomes clear. The truth is this that we're all sinners me and you, everybody outside those doors, all sinners. And you can either admit that or you can deny it. And forms of denying it are kind of like, I'm a pretty good person and I do most things well. I might make a mistake, but I don't really do anything that God would be mad at me about. That's denying sin. That's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. If you do things that are wrong, God's not happy about wrong things. You can admit your sin and say, hmm, I'm going to admit my sin. Instead of pretending it's nothing and sweeping it under the bed to hide it, you come here and you take it to the cross and you're like, okay, God, here's who I am. And he says, fantastic. I love you. I'm delighted in you. You're mine. You belong to me. And the angels are all struck by that. And you and I should be all struck by that too that God says, yes, I will take you back. We have all kinds of sinners here and we have to know that. We have to, that's why every week we confess our sin, to remind us that we don't have it all together, but God still loves us anyway and we are his redeemed people and he delights in us. Sins of pride, greed, lying, stealing, pornography, adultery, gossip, arrogant use of power or control, using words to assassinate one another, dishonoring parents, disobeying parents, non-honoring Sabbath rest, which of the Ten Commandments am I forgetting? Coveting, um, idolatry. I mean, all the things that we talk about, we have all of that here. We are sinners. But we are sinners loved and redeemed by God. And because of that, we welcome other sinners. You don't have to show a card to get in here that says, like, hey, I passed, go, collected $200, and I am sin-free. In fact, if you have that card, you should probably leave because you don't need that cross. You don't need the redemption God is offering. Us here, we know who we are. We know we need that redemption, that love of Christ. Ray Cortese is a pastor in Florida. Marty Cates, who is on staff with us, but you don't see him because he's planting River Run Presbyterian Church, and they're worshiping right now in Amelia County. He worked with Ray Cortese. He was on staff with him for a while. Ray's been there a long time. Um, Ray was telling the story about he, that he works out, and you have to see Ray. He's kind of a tall, slender guy, and he said, there's really a lot more bulk under here than you notice. He's like, I go to the gym, and I meet my trainer. So my trainer also trains these two ladies. One's a nun, and one's a prostitute. So I meet these ladies, and it's very interesting just to see their life and their life story. The prostitute was substance addicted uh, and got clean, started coming to his church, Gets converted, follows Jesus, stays clean for at least 18 months at the time that he was telling the story. She's full of joy, delighted in Jesus, like, I know who loves me. I know what I have, I'm delighted. The nun has been in the church her whole life, serving, has no joy. She's striving to self-validate and say, look, I can do this, I can produce on my own. And she's got no joy, no joy, no love of Jesus, just the sense of duty, what she must do. He's saying, see, the the church needs to be this place where we welcome sinners because we rest in Jesus and we find great delight in him. He is our righteousness. We don't have to self-validate anymore. We're like, no, Jesus is glorious and he's great. It's why we should sing with joy and repent freely. And admit who we are he doesn't leave us there of course he shows us more of our sin and he starts to work on those areas in our lives and that'll be a lifelong journey this side of heaven we're all sinners sinners welcome and if you understand that it will help you recover the joy and the purpose to want to go make more followers of jesus because jesus gives us command and says now go make followers well if you understand the weight, the gravity, the glory of what Christ has done for you, you're like, yeah, this is good news. Others should know about this too. And if it's not that captivating and not that good a news, you might not understand what it means to truly be loved by the God of the universe who forgives your sins. And then one of the things you've got to do is figure out ways to serve and figure out ways to tell people about Jesus. One of the prophets, Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, asks a question, what does what God require of us? And he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And What does he require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, right? Knowing who God is and humble because he loves us anyways, to do what is just and merciful. So yes, go out and serve other people. We regularly tell you about opportunities to do this. Operation Christmas Child, right? You might remember that. Family serve days, serve with real life or doing jobs for life or Bible studies or with STEP in Gilpin Court and do the reading tutorial program to help kids there. Or there's a bunch of other ways too, ways you serve right here in this church to help others. But to serve and tell people about Jesus. You might be a Sunday school teacher who's teaching a young child about what it means to be a Christian so that when they're in second grade or fourth grade or eighth grade or tenth grade or whenever it is, they're like, I know Jesus. And they stand in front of you all and profess it and say, I'm a Christian. And we celebrate and rejoice with them. Or on mission trips. If you go on a mission trip with a mission team, you're going to serve and help people, but you will also be challenged as part of what you're going to do is to try to share the gospel with at least one person while you're there. Because telling is as important as it is showing the love of Christ. Or church planting. One of the reasons we plant churches is because a new church has to go out and their singular focus at that time is like, we've got to invite people to follow Jesus. And there's an urgency to that that causes them to be desperate and grow in a way that churches, sometimes like ours, get more established and kind of get comfortable. It's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to say, we need to go out to others and share the good news of Jesus with them. And I get it. You might be thinking, but, but it's, it's a little intimidating and it's a little risky. And I'm saying that nicely right you're like no no way can you help me with an experiment we to do this here's your experiment this is gonna be uh, classroom instruction right now I want you to turn to somebody next to you and ask them one of these questions what's your favorite restaurant or brewery and why should I check it out or you could ask who's your favorite sports team playing today and why are they gonna win and why should I cheer for them or who's your favorite musical artist and why should I listen I don't care which one it is, pick somebody and ask somebody next to you. And then answer them, tell them. Tell them who your team is or who your mu- musical artist is. We have a bunch of Swifties maybe talking about the Eras tour. All right. See, I didn't get alone. Zach came up to make sure he asked me a question, too. All right. So you guys got to talk about, hey, a favorite restaurant that's so good because the food is so delicious or their beer selection or whatever it is or why the Cowboys are going to beat the Packers or whatever it was. I don't know, right? Is, right. Or they're not. Somebody else is because, because you're trying to persuade somebody of something. You, for at least a minute... Almost all of you were chattering, trying to persuade somebody of something else that you liked. If you like Jesus, can you try to persuade somebody of why you like Jesus? You just did it on other things. You do it every day on social media. You have to do it in school when you're trying to persuade your teacher that you know how to do something. You do it at your job when you're persuading your boss or your team that you're working with to say, this is what we need to do, this is the direction we need to go. This is not a foreign concept to you as human beings. The only question is do you really like Jesus that much that you're willing to try to persuade somebody else about why you like Jesus? Why is he good? What's beautiful about him? Maybe you need to make a list of some creative ways to talk to people about Jesus. When you see people striving to self validate, you could ask does that ever get tiring? Wouldn't it be freeing to know you don't have to impress somebody? That's what Jesus does for me. If you want to hear more about it, I'd love to tell you about it. All that guilt and shame and failure, what do you do with that? How do you get any freedom from that? Maybe lots of counseling that's needed. But you know who isn't going to hold that over you? is the one who forgives you, Jesus love to tell you more about it if you listen I hope when I get to heaven there will be many people who will see me and say you invited me here and I hope you hope that too if you've never shared your faith in Jesus with a non-christian then you are not following Jesus the way he intends for you to do because we read The command, here's what you're supposed to do. And that could be for several reasons. It could be because you're afraid, intimidated, you're just, you don't like people. I don't don't know, lots of reasons, right? One of the reasons in our culture why I think that could be more broadly true is because you probably have an understanding of Jesus that has been so shaped by your culture because we all are influenced by other people. In this community that we're a part of and the culture we live in is a consumer oriented culture what do I mean we're taught to be consumers all through our life the question is what can you do for me who can provide me the best goods or excuse me who can provide me the best goods or services for the best value it's what you do all the time when you shop on Amazon when you go to the store when you choose a school that you want to go to or a job you're gonna work for who can provide the best for me and what I need and what I want What can you do for me is the question we ask. And when you come to Jesus, you ask the same question, what can you do for me? And the truth is, he can do a lot for you, which is really good news. His goods and services are better than anybody else's. Right? Amen. Better than anybody else's. But as long as you keep asking that question about Jesus, what can you do for me? You make yourself the center of the whole equation, the center of the whole universe. And what Jeremy had us read this morning is God was the center and all those beings were oriented around him saying, let's make a big deal of you because God, you are the greatest. And so you have to change that question of not not just God, what will you do for me? But who are you shaping me to be? And what do I do for you? And then it becomes a God-centered way of looking at life where you will call other people to be See the beauty of Jesus and to become part of his kingdom way of living. You are to delight in Jesus and then to make a big deal of how good he is. Not only does Jesus, though, give us this clarifying purpose that you need for life. He also gives an empowering promise to go with it. The empowering promise that he gives us, we see in verses 18 and 20. And so you can put those slides on the screen for me. So the same verses we just read, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth. How much authority? All authority. Is there any that he doesn't have? No, because he has how much? All. All authority. Right? And then, so therefore go and make disciples and then, you know, finish the rest of the sentence. And then at the very end of that, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All the time I'm with you. How much? All. All. He's got all the power, all the authority, and he will always be with you. If you are one who was wanting to know, I deeply want to know the presence of God in my life, this is one way that he promises it. Go tell others about me, and you will have to focus on me to know my presence and power is with you. Doesn't mean it always goes swimmingly well, doesn't mean that everybody listens or agrees but you're focused on the glory of God and his goodness to you, his delight in you. It also means that you can't do this in your own strength because you don't have all the power. God does. But he's going to work through you to use his power for the good of other people and for his glory. Now, if you don't have all the power but you know where to get it, what do you do? Kids, if you don't have all the money in the household, but you know mama's got some in her purse, what do you go do? Ask. You go ask for it. In order for us to do this and have this empowering presence of God with us, we've got to pray and ask. Praying is talking to God. God help us. Help us to do this part of what you're calling us to do. This is not the only thing we're supposed to do. Remember at the beginning, there's more things. We're going to talk about those over the next few months. But this is one of them. And you've got to pray and ask. And here's this is not this is not in the Bible what I'm about to tell you. This is something I made up that might be a helpful tool um, for you. But try this. If you're struggling, like I don't know how to do this, try this. Three two one. Here's your three two one process. Pray for three people that don't know Jesus every day write it on a note card, tape it to your bathroom mirror where you're going to see it, or into the dashboard of your car, or put a reminder on your phone about it, and a timer that goes off, and like, oh, that's my reminder to pray for my three people. Pray for three people every day. Why? Because when you start doing that, God tends to work. And also, your eyes tend to be open about those people you're praying for. Two. Invite two people monthly to something. Hey, let's go on a bike ride together. You want to go out to this brewery together? hey, let's, let's go to this concert. Let's, um, would you come to my community group? Or would you go to church with me? It doesn't even have to be a Christian thing. Get time to have friendship and relationship with people because we live in an isolated world. So at least twice a month, invite somebody to do something. So you got three people you're praying for, invite two of them, or maybe one of them, but twice a month to do something. So you get intentional time with them, listening to them, knowing them, their story, and looking for opportunities to share your faith. And one, just one time a month, tell somebody about Jesus. I think that's a low bar, but I could be wrong. One time a month. Ask if you can pray for them about anything. Is there anything I can pray for you about? You might be like, yeah, actually, yeah. Ask if you can share something about your life story. And you don't have to do this on your own either. I'm not telling you just individually to figure it all out. You're created for community. Do this together. Jesus sent them out in pairs. Get somebody else praying with you for the same people. Invite them and go do something together. That's why I invite them to community group or to church or, or invite them over for dinner. and Just have people over for dinner to do something, to hang out. Invite them over to watch a football game. There's like a hundred of them. All. Well, not a hundred, but like every weekend all you got is football right now. Invite them to do something. Do it with others, because we're created for community. The other thing I want to tell you is don't give up. Don't quit on this, because we are so people that are so shaped by, like, i got to set my goals, i got to work my process toward those goals, and then i got to see the results. And if we don't see the results, we're like, doesn't work, I quit. Don't quit on this. Because it's not you that's changing somebody. Not you directly. You don't hold all the power. God holds the power. Right? And so you're dependent on God to do something in somebody's life. And you're pleading and praying with God to do that. So don't give up. It takes time. Because God works in his time. Sometimes that's when you're in second grade. Sometimes you're 96. Don't quit on people. Whether that's adult children whether it's your parents or it's friends because God works in his time some people have become Christians here as teenagers you saw that recently Jeremy's, Jeremy who was leading worship his boss talked to him for years as they were, had windshield time driving in the car, going places a few years ago Dave and Carol Lenti shared a letter and gave me permission to read it so I'm going to read it to you again to hear about God's goodness and faithfulness. Also remember to pray for Carol as she recovers from knee surgery. Here's the letter. Dear Andrew and Brian, several weeks ago, this is probably three or four years old. Several weeks ago, we were finally able to visit our sister-in-law, Pat, in Connecticut. She has been battling cancer and we could not visit until vaccinations were completed, etc. We then went to Denver, Denver for Mother's Day. Then we took two days and less for LA for a grandson's graduation. In the meantime, Pat took a turn for the worse. We made a quick trip back to say our goodbyes pat passed away on tuesday but the lord performed a miracle pat who was married to carol's brother has never had any interest in spiritual things in fact she would not even discuss them we had been praying for an opportunity and carol got that chance on monday night before we arrived pat was asking when would carol be there when will carol be here She mentioned that to several people. Carol spent all night with her on Monday in the hospice center and shared the scriptures with her in the gospel. While Pat was no longer able to respond verbally, she could and did respond with sounds. We are convinced that Pat and the Lord wanted Carol there to share her last hours together. We are grateful beyond words. Pat, my BFF in college, married my brother and I fixed them up for our senior sorority social. My dear brother died in the same hospice center in Brantford, Connecticut, 15 years ago. Dave and I had both presented the gospel to him weeks before he died, and he listened but did not respond. On the day he died, I was allowed to sit with him and presented Jesus one last time. He was unable to speak, but he started weeping. We got to hospice when we got to hospice two weeks ago to be honest I was weak in the knees I could not believe this was happening again my niece told me that Pat said she had to speak to me again before she died for the past year the women in our Zoom Bible study and my small group on Wednesday morning and Dave's Zoom study with the old guys Carol's words not mine prayed faithfully for Pat's salvation Pat and my brother were our best friends and we plan on adjoining rooms in heaven. You're welcome to share the story. I pray that it will encourage the saints to never give up. Great is his faithfulness. You have a clarifying purpose and an empowering promise by Jesus to serve others and to share his good news. Will you do that as a follower of him? Let's pray. Jesus, you have all the power. You deserve all the honor and glory for you are the greatest. And your mercy runs deep. And so we thank you for that. Your goodness and kindness to us. That you love us despite our failures and our sins and our shortcomings. That we are a collection, a community of sinners gathered together to rejoice in you. Because we don't have it all together. We don't do everything right. And we fail and we mess up. But we know that we are loved by you. And that makes all the difference. So Lord, make that love run so deep in us that we would delight to share that good news with others we know. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.